It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, November 3rd, 2009. All right, something a little different today. And I'll warn you at the outset, today's program is not politically correct. If, if you're looking for a program that kind of soft-sell you on Jesus and all that kind of stuff, uh, change the channel. It's I'm going to step on toes, and I'm wearing golf shoes with spikes. Just want to let you know that. Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to get you to think biblically, to get you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. God's Word is true, and if you believe something contrary to God's Word, well, then yeah, you're, you're mistaken in error or need to... Uh, uh, repent, you know, actually you do need to repent, but you get what I'm saying. So, um, we do the politically incorrect, really tough to listen to at times work. It, we try to have a little bit of fun along the way. That is important fun. You know, what's the point in doing a job if you don't have fun? I mean, that's, <laughs> but at the same time, uh, this program is not for, um, well, um, girly men. This is not a pro the, if uh, if you're uh, similar to Alan Alda, this just this program probably is not going to jive with you. I'm I just warn you ahead of time. Uh, listening to me might be like listening to uh, uh, fingernails on a chalkboard. So uh, the reason why is because we slaughter sacred cows. We don't have a problem calling a spade a spade, and. Um, I work from this idea. All of us human beings, we're all a bunch of wretched, rotten sinners in need of Jesus Christ and his forgiveness won for us on the cross. And, uh, yeah, that means I believe in penal substitution. I believe that Jesus Christ actually rose from the dead bodily on the third day after he was crucified. Yeah, you, you see, it's all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and you're sitting there going, well, you sound like a raving fundamentalist. Yeah, I, I do, and there's a reason for that. Because um, <laughs> if you go with the historic definition of a fundamentalist, I think with the exception of the premillennial aspect of Christ's return, uh, yeah, I'm one of them. So uh, so anyway, just want to let you know that. Now, today's program is slightly different. Sometimes I like to mix things up. And um, so today... We're going to listen to John Piper. He put out a brand new video called Why I Abominate the Prosperity Gospel. We're going to listen to John Piper waxing eloquent about this. Of course, I chime in from time to time. I I do radio and I have a big mouth and... Um, and so I have to, you know, opine. And so, but we'll, we'll be listening to this, and and then the really, really, really um, politically incorrect portion of the program will begin after the John Piper segment. And um, this is where um, I am going to um, respond to and critique a personal testimony. And um, I. It, it, <laughs> Uh, I have had a problem with these for decades, uh, these personal testimonies. And so we're going to be listening to a personal testimony that was presented at uh, Saddleback's high school uh, ministry, uh, youth ministry there, uh, by a gentleman who was a retired police officer. 
And um, as far as personal testimonies go, I mean, it's it's um, it's kind of your generic uh, boilerplate template uh, personal testimony. And we're going to listen to it, and we're going to talk about why I think these things are actually not very good. And um, it's not that I'm picking on the guy who's giving his personal testimony in particular. The reality is is that um, I've heard this exact personal testimony from other people. And, it's again, it's standard boilerplate stuff. We'll talk about it and critique it in light of law and gospel. And then um, when we're done doing that, we're going to launch into our sermon cage fight number two. We, we uh, If you've been listening to the program a while ago, we actually did a sermon cage fight between the Reverend Jeremy Rohde and Adam Walker Cleveland, who is an emergent uh, uh, liberal guy. And uh, today, it's a little bit different, no emergence, uh, but it's the same text. Uh, the text that uh, these uh, pastors will be preaching on is Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through roughly 22 to 27. I'll read all the way to 27 before we launch into the sermon cage fight itself. And uh, the, 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 the two, um, well, sermon combatants. Now, listen, I, <laughs> I want to explain something to you. Neither one of these pastors preached the sermon, their sermons, with the idea that they were going to be put in a cage together and and duking it out. That <clears throat> the whole idea behind the sermon cage fight is not that this is some you know no holds bar fight to the death. Instead, the idea behind the sermon cage fight is to put side by side two different pastors preaching on the same text. One who um, probably doesn't understand law and gospel, and another pastor who actually gets law and gospel. And so this is Jeff Gokey from Cor- Cornerstone Church in Chandler, Arizona, which is a seeker-driven, purpose-driven church there in Chandler, Arizona. And uh, Jeff Gokey is one of the pa- uh, uh, teaching pastors there. And uh, we're going to be listening to his sermon on Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through roughly 27. And then we're going to, uh, once he's done uh, preaching his sermon, and we'll, you know, of course, I'll chime in along the way. We're going to listen to uh, Pastor Ernie Lassman of uh, Messiah Lutheran Church in Seattle, Washington, preaching on this identical text. And uh, what are we going to be looking for? How are they handling God's word? But very specifically, how are they handling law and gospel? Are are they preaching the law to condemn us of our sins and uh, basically take away all uh, aspirations or uh, ideas that we have regarding self-righteousness and uh, point us to Jesus Christ and him crucified for our sins and salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone? Or is it, you know, how are they, are they going to preach the law in such a way that the solution to the problem is, is that you got to. Try harder. You gotta commit yourself to doing better. You gotta, you see, that's all law. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna, again, it's sermon cage fight. Numero dos. <clears throat> yeah, that sounds so uh, international when I do that. Um, so again, it's gonna be all kinds of interesting. And, uh, so what I recommend doing, make yourself comfortable. Now, again, if, if comfortable for you is actually exercising, and uh, trying to uh, shed some pounds like I've been trying to do lately, that we're okay with that. We are absolutely okay with that. Um, and uh, if you'd like to make yourself comfortable and enjoy an adult beverage while listening to Fighting for the Faith, we have no problem with that whatsoever. And uh, again, fuzzy bunny slippers do enhance the uh, the listener experience so long as you are uh, listening in a region where the temperature is cooler. And uh, yeah, so, you know, it, in the, the the northern part of the Midwest where I'm at, 
uh, cooler temperatures are, are have been around. So fuzzy bunny slippers are okay. If you're in Southern California, they're experiencing, you know, uh, temperatures in the 90s inland. And no, not not so good. Not that with that just fuzzy bunny slippers. Wait a few more uh, weeks uh, for the weather to change there in Southern California. Although yeah, I got to tell you, it's kind of interesting. Here in the uh, the northern part of the Midwest, uh, the trees are now naked. They um, uh, the 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 whole leaf changing color, uh, fall foliage uh, thing that that's all done, and the trees are naked. It's um, all the leaves have you know fallen to the ground and um, made a mess, and um, it's kind of sad. I mean, it's looking really dead around here. What I don't understand though are are uh, some of these corn farmers that still have uh, unharvested corn out in the uh, in the fields and obviously the corn stalks are well they're dead now too you know and somebody told me that uh, those those guys are the ones who are selling corn to pig farmers okay i, I didn't know that That's, i'm glad i know that uh so and uh, and, and you know, anyway i think you get what i'm saying okay so with that we're going to dive into our program proper today and uh, leading off the program today is um, is John Piper, John Piper of Desiring God. That's the name of his ministry, and uh, I think he's up in Minnesota, a place where I'm eyeing looking to move to. Um, and uh, the the name of this particular video is entitled "Why I Abominate the Prosperity Gospel." Now, th- th- them is some harsh words. Abominate th- that would be basically declaring the prosperity gospel to be an abomination. Th- that thing which sends people to hell it's a false gospel when uh when you think of abominate think of uh, what paul was doing in the opening chapter to galatians uh when he's going after the uh, the false gospel of the judaizers who are mixing uh the the mosaic law and uh, the gospel and basically coming up with gospel and uh, telling people uh, they're not saved unless they they be circumcised. And, um, you know, what does Paul say about that? If if we or an angel from heaven comes to you preaching another gospel other than the one you already received, let him be anathema. Let him be eternally condemned. And uh, if you want to know uh, the, the, the thumbnail sketch, uh, the basic core of the gospel that the apostle Paul preached, it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at the first six verses. And, you know, the, what he received, he passed on as of first importance that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's the basic thumbnail sketch of the gospel. It's, and you're thinking, well, that seems kind of, uh, what about my part? Well, that's the, the good news is not about your part. <laughs> <laughs> the good news is what Jesus did for you. So uh, that that's why it's good news, because if you had a part in it, it wouldn't be good news. Uh, so anyway, here's uh, John P- Piper uh, waxing eloquent on why he abominates uh, the uh, prosperity gospel. And, of course, color commentary by Roseboro along the way. Here we go. So why do I feel so strongly about the uh, so-called prosperity gospel? Uh there's an easy answer, but before I give it, um, let me define it a little bit. Um, it's it's on a continuum from the most radical to what would be called soft or light. And uh, the most radical would be basically say, 
God wants you rich. And you should partner with him by faith to pursue riches. And the justification would be given. Can't accomplish much in life without money. And so, go for it. Or another rationale might be, you're kingdom kids, and kingdom kids don't wear tattered clothes. They dress like the king, and so on. The light would be simply being more cautious. Okay, now listen. He's he's describing the prosperity uh, gospel, the false gospel of known as prosperity preaching. He's not defining it as only the one extreme that, um, you know, God wants you to be rich, wealthy, have a Beamer, uh, you know, uh, a 30-room uh, mansion on a 120-acre uh, lot uh, with your own water park. Um, <clears throat> that would be on the one extreme and your own Gulfstream jet. Oh, that would be convenient. Um, that uh, he's, he's also th- on that same spectrum is a light version of the prosperity gospel. Listen carefully to what he's saying. I agree with him here, by the way. We continue. Not to say those gross things about wealth, but to minimize sin and minimize pain and only talk about how well things will go for you if you follow Christ. Okay. So why why do I abominate? Okay, now that uh, <clears throat> talking only about how th- well things will go for you if you, quote, follow Christ, w- who would be on the light end of the prosperity gospel spectrum? I propose that that would be seeker-driven, purpose-driven pastors, such as Rick Warren, Perry Noble, Bill Hybels. Uh, Those who uh, don't talk about sin and God's wrath and judgment, but say, if you make a decision to be a Christ follower, then you, then you can experience a, a happy marriage, a fulfilling career, a well behaved children. You see what I'm saying? I mean, that's all the kind of with him stuff. With him means what's in it for me that uh, they're using to quote sell Jesus. Uh, the, you know the cost benefit analysis, so to speak. I I think that the, the seeker driven guys are on the light end of the prosperity gospel spectrum. Let's see what uh, John Piper says here. This so-called gospel. I think it is another gospel, and. Uh, the first reason would be simply to go straight to the Bible and see what Paul says about those who want to be rich. I mean, it's just, he says, this is First Timothy 6.6, 6, Now there's great gain in godliness with contentment, in other words, without craving for stuff. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. If we have food and clothing, with these we'll be content. (laughs) It's just amazing. But those who desire to be rich... Now, here's the key text. This is verse 9. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving, that is, this craving to be rich that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. In other words, the 
the very thing that leads people to suicidal piercings of pangs, namely the desire to be rich, is nurtured and cultivated by the prosperity preachers. They are encouraging that this suicidal behavior happen. That's abominable. <clears throat> nice biblical argument there, uh, Pastor Piper. Or Jesus, Jesus said, uh, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. By the way, that's uh, found in uh, Mark chapter 10. Funny enough, that's going to be what our gospel text today for our sermon cage fight. just want to put a plug in for the sermon cage fight. Number two, we continue. How would he say that? It's because riches are such dangerous things. They're not a blessing usually. They're usually a curse. People are cursed with riches. They're destroyed by riches. And here again, a little parenthesis of qualification. I don't mean it's sinful to make a lot of money. I just mean it's sinful to want to keep a lot of money. And it's suicidal to want to keep a lot of money. Bigger barns and bigger cars and bigger houses and bigger portfolios and finer clothes. And everything is growing with your income so that your, your conscience is getting harder and harder. Because if you're a Christian at this point, your conscience is having to say, it's okay, it's okay. This is, this is okay. This is the Calvary road. This is what it means to deny yourself. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it means to die every day. This is what it means to have my treasure in heaven. And it doesn't. It won't work. So your conscience has to be lacerated in order to keep from killing yourself. And so Jesus says, it's hard for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. Paul says those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and pierce themselves with many pangs. And along comes a prosperity preacher who says, yes, Lord really wants you to be rich. We should pursue riches. Following Jesus is the pathway to riches. Riches are the sign of God's blessing. I just say those are in mutual contradiction for each other. And therefore, this is deadly. Now, here's another reason I'm... Okay, now, so far, <clears throat> Pastor Piper is doing a fine job of bringing us the law. And yeah, I think he's doing it lawfully in a way to uh, demonstrate the false gospel in the prosperity message and show its incompatibility uh, with the teachings of Jesus. I wonder if we'll get to the real gospel. Let's continue listening. Really upset about this. These prosperity preachers, preachers don't just talk to Americans who are already fairly well off and try to help them, you know, become a little more rich. They get on their jets, their personal jets, and they fly to Africa or the Philippines. And they land and they gather a stadium full of 100,000 desperately poor people and tell them if they'll believe in Jesus, they'll get rich and all their needs will be met and their wives don't have miscarriages anymore, blah, blah, blah. Then they get in their jet with their pockets full and go home. That's wicked. Because the Bible is so filled with teachings that in this life, this is a momentary affliction here. This light momentary affliction is working for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What's Paul referring to there? He's referring to a lifetime. Light and momentary 
corresponds to the weight of eternal glory in heaven. He means when you come to Christ, you come and die, and you can count on it. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of heaven. Come to Christ and come and die. Yep, that's, this is good stuff. Normal Christianity is pain. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, is the pattern. Prosperity preachers do not prepare new converts in third world countries to endure the realities of what it will cost them to be a Christian. Here's another reason. There are 1,568 or so, as we talk, people groups in the world out of 13,000 that don't even have missionaries engaging them, and therefore everybody in them is without hope. Most of those 1,500 people groups are in very dangerous places, meaning if you go there, your kids might either get disease and die or uh, your wife might be captured and raped or your family might be butchered and killed. Who's going to go? We have to go. Jesus said, make disciples of every people group, not just the easy ones, not just the comfortable ones. Who's going to go? The product of prosperity preachers? I don't think so. The people that are going to go are the people that have been taught that to, to follow Christ is to suffer, and it's brief. It's only 80 years. And then comes heaven. I just read this morning with Noel and Talitha, uh, first paragraphs of uh, Revelation 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the former heaven and the former earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the new Jerusalem coming down like a bride prepared for her husband. And he will dwell with us, and we will be his people, and he will be our God. And then every tear will be wiped away, and every uh, pain will be gone. For the former things, the former things have passed away. That's coming. The, the, the essential biblical problem, maybe that's an overstatement, one of the essential biblical problems with the prosperity gospel is an over-realized eschatology, meaning the things that are promised gloriously for us. We're all going to be rich. We're going to own the world. We're going to judge angels. Paul used that argument in 1 Corinthians 3. Don't you realize that you are going to inherit the world? The world is yours. Paulus is yours. Cephas is yours. Life is yours. Death is yours. And the conclusion he, he drew was, why would you boast in men? In other words, why wouldn't you take that as a means of enabling you to suffer and be lowly and kind and, and servant-like and walk on this Calvary road and take the pain of being a Christian? That's coming. But what they do, instead of say, uh, we have to wait for that and, and pour our lives out through many tribulations here, they say, bring it now. Bring it now. The kingdom's already here, right? Je Jesus brought the kingdom. And it's the overlap of these two ages they don't understand. The, the, the new age is a beautiful age. And there are healings that happen in this world. I don't deny that. I just deny very vehemently everybody's going to be healed. You let these prosperity preachers with their healing talk and their word of faith talk go to the fourth floor of Augustana home or go to the emergency rooms or to the uh, intensive care rooms of hospitals. Go there. Go there and preach your gospel. 
No, they don't. They, they wear their nice clothes, stand up with the lights, money strewn all over the, the thing with people out here who desperately want somebody to tell them how to get rich, and there they make a lot of money that way. They don't go to the places where it's impossible to deal with reality unless you've got a theology of suffering. And so for all those reasons and more, it's a tragic thing that one of our greatest exports of America is the prosperity gospel. People are being destroyed by it. Christians are being weakened by it. God is being dishonored by it. And souls are perishing because of it. And a lot of guys are getting rich on it. Hmm. All right. So that was John Piper on why I abominate the prosperity gospel. I think he made some very valid biblical points and observations. Just, listen, Christianity is not about how to make your life better this side of the resurrection. In fact, for countless thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of millions of Christians around the world, Confessing publicly Jesus Christ as Lord and confessing that you are trusting in him alone for the forgiveness of your sins will get you killed. Deader than dead, you will assume room temperature and you will be proclaiming nothing from your physical body that is left behind uh, here on this planet. You will join the choir invisible. Many Christians around the world, keep keep in mind, like, what is it, 80% of the planet? I, we here who live in Western uh, countries, uh, United States, Great Britain, Australia, New Zealand, uh, you know, uh, South Africa, Westernized nations, um, well, maybe not so much in South Africa, but uh, we... Um, we don't really run into the stark poverty that the the majority of the planet lives in. Do some traveling outside of the United States, and you will find out that planet Earth is racked with poverty and suffering and disease and and uh, and that kind of stuff. So that being the case, uh, we have brothers and sisters in Christ right now who probably don't even know where their next meal's coming from. Should we assume that God is punishing them and they are suffering? <laughs> they are baptized, forgiven believers in Jesus Christ. It's not that they don't have enough faith. It's that Christianity... You know, this this life right now, prior to Christ's return and the new heavens and the new earth, um, it's a now and not yet. We anxiously await our salvation in Christ to be revealed. And in the meantime, we could lose our life. We could lose our job. We could suffer. And daily Christ calls us to take up our crosses and follow him. cross well those things are i don't know if you're familiar with this concept uh they're for capital punishment they are designed to kill you take up your cross consider yourself to be a dead person and follow christ 
I guarantee it'll be full of all kinds of suffering. That's the one thing I can guarantee. I can't guarantee that you're going to have a limo. Uh, none of that. It's not promised. This uh, Yet when Christ is revealed, when Christ returns in glory, we have no concept of what it is that we're going to experience. I mean, when you talk about streets paved with gold, I mean, gold, gold is like the precious, the most precious metal we have here on the planet. And yet it becomes basic paving stones for the streets. I can show you that the economy of the new heaven and the new earth is way beyond our comprehension. But it's not yet revealed. It's ours and yet it's not yet. The inheritance is guaranteed in Christ. And yet we are called to take up our cross and follow Jesus. Good stuff from John Piper. All right, we are up on our first break. When we come back, I got to warn you, we're going to go into our most politically incorrect segment that I've done in a while, and I do them all the time. Um, the, what I, segment entitled The Problem with Personal Testimonies. And I'm not picking on this guy in particular. I just, you know, we're going to, his is a standard boilerplate testimony. And uh, we're going to take a look at it in light of law and gospel. And as a result of the fact that we're, you know, we're doing this, I'm doing this, uh, you know, I run the risk of offending some people. Well, if you're offended by it, tough, get over it. Um, <laughs> you need to hear what I got to say and, and compare what I say to the word of God. See if, if I'm just being a cantankerous old curmudgeon whatever. Yeah, you, you get what I'm saying. All right, uh, if you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. Again, my name there, pirate Christian. We will be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Hello. I wish to register a complaint. Uh, we're closing for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about the sermon that I purchased a day ago from this very boutique. Uh, yes. Uh, what, what's wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it, my lad. It's a dead sermon. That's what's wrong with it. No, not possible. You just preached it wrong. Look, matey. I know a dead sermon when I preach one, and I know that the sermon I preached yesterday was certainly dead. Jesus Christ wasn't mentioned once, not even in the footnotes. No, no, you just weren't charismatic enough. Remarkable sermon, beautiful imagery. The imagery don't enter into it. It's stone dead. No, 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 no. You're just not open-minded enough. All right, then. 
If it's not dead, then I should be able to preach the gospel. I read a portion of it. Ahem. And then the camp counselor told all of the woodland creatures to become more righteous so that they too could get to the place called heaven. You, you see what I mean? This is ridiculous. There. I found the gospel in the sermon. No, you didn't. That was you just writing the word gospel on the cover of the room temperature sermon. Well, I never. Yes, you did. I, I never, never did anything. This entire sermon fails to preach anything that's worth anything to anyone. Now, that's what I call a dead sermon. No, no, no. You haven't looked deep enough into yourself. You must be joking. Yeah, well, you're just being divisive, and you refuse to accept the message that's being presented. Um, now, look. Now, look, mate. I've definitely had enough of this. That sermon is definitely rotten. And when I purchased it not but a day ago, you assured me that it was Christ-centered, cross-focused, and filled to bursting with the gospel. Well, if you would just read the title. Read the title? What kind of title is this anyway? Super Spiritual Happy Fun Friends Adventure Camp Pack. Well, this particular sermon is designed to draw large audiences, and that's what you said you wanted. It has lovely imagery. Look, I took the liberty of examining this sermon after I preached it, and I discovered the only reason why I bought it in the first place was because it had been put into the wrong sleeve packet. Well, of course it's in the wrong package sleeve. If I hadn't put a less suspicious cover on the sermon, you'd have had people chasing you just so that they can hear you preach it. Chasing me down the street? Mate, listen, people wouldn't be chasing me to hear this rubbish if I was firing midgets out of cannons. It's bleeding demise. You didn't buy the midget cannon expansion pack? The sermon has passed on. The sermon is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to me and its maker. It's a stiff. Bereft of life, it burns in hell. If you hadn't put it in the wrong package sleeve, I would be using it for Firestarter. The thought processes that brought it about are now history. It's off the twig. It's kicked the bucket. The bleeding choir invisible wouldn't listen to this sham. This is an ex-sermon. Uh, well, well I, I better replace it then. Let's see here. Uh, Christ-centered, uh, gospel, Jesus. Uh, uh, well, sorry, Squire. I've had a look around in the back of the shop and, uh, well... We're right out of well, whatever it is that you're looking for. I see. I see. I get the picture. I, I got a sermon here from Rick Warren. Does it contain Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice? Well, no, not really. Well, that's hardly a replacement, is it? Look, if, if, if you're really dead set on the whole Jesus thing, I suggest that you look up Pirate Christian Radio. All they do is talk about Jesus 24-7. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Pirate Christian Radio? Very well, I'll give them a try. What if the entire resurrection was a hoax? Well, that's the premise of the book A Skeleton in God's Closet. Written by Paul L. Meyer, the story is about Dr. Jonathan Weber, a Harvard professor and biblical scholar who's looking forward to a sabbatical year on an archaeological dig in Israel. But a spectacular find that seems to be an archaeologist's dream come true becomes a nightmare that could be the death rattle of Christianity. This book is carefully researched and compellingly written. A Skeleton in God's Closet explores the tension between doubt and faith, science and religion, and one man's determination to find the truth no matter what the cost. Said Paul Erdman of the New York Times, With a skeleton in God's closet, Paul Meyer has created a new genre, the theological thriller. It reads like Robert Ludlum while expertly exploring the origins of Christianity. It's a superb book. A Skeleton in God's Closet 
is available at piratechristianradio.com. It's right there on the homepage. It's available for $14.99 plus $4.95 shipping and handling. And all proceeds support the ongoing work of Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com and get your copy of A Skeleton in God's Closet today. Morning. Listening to this program could really disrupt your whole life. You might find yourself wanting to switch churches, and that's just not an easy thing to do. All right, I uh, need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio. That's right, it's listener-supported. That, And if you would like to uh, continue hearing Fighting for the Faith... <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Well, uh, we we got to pay our bills. And uh, so we depend upon you to pay our bills so that we can continue serving you with Fighting for the Faith. And the fun part about it is, is by supporting Fighting for the Faith, you're actually supporting not just this radio program. You're supporting the entire uh, Pirate Christian Radio radio station itself. You're keeping uh, Pirate Christian Radio on the air. And so right now we are looking for 1,000 of our listeners to join our Pirate Christian Radio Fighting for the Faith crew. That's right. Join our crew. And uh, what that entails is going to fightingforthefaith.com and clicking on the join our crew button. And when you sign up for that, uh, you're basically allowing us on a monthly basis to deduct a mere $6.95 from your account automatically and what happens is is that the six dollars and 95 cents comes out and when we get to a thousand folks when we get to a thousand crew members it ensures that at least on a month-to-month basis that we're able to pay all of our bills which means we can continue bringing fighting for the faith and pirate christian radio to you it's just it's lovely how that works isn't it and um, i promise you i have no aspirations to own a learjet uh, gulfstream jet uh, a jaguar Mercedes-Benz, Beamer, or you know anything like that. Quite frankly, I'm quite content uh, wearing Levi's and T-shirts and living in a small home in uh, the middle of the Midwest. It's it, <laughs> I am not a prosperity guy at all. In fact, uh, I'm thinking log cabin in the middle of nowhere someday would be a great thing. But that's a different story. So uh, please join our crew. And uh, when you join our crew, you have access to our Pirate Christian Cove. This is a secret treasure trove of uh, a growing secret uh, treasure trove of theological works that will help you go deeper in your understanding of God's word, a a good law gospel theology, hermeneutics, all that kind of stuff. And you think, well, wait, that sounds like it's college level stuff. Well, some of it is. And uh, the reason why is because everybody's a theologian, whether you know it or not, is the question is, what kind of theologian are you? So uh, you get access to the Pirate Christian Cove when you uh, join our crew. And uh, again, fightingforthefaith.com, click on join our crew. And if you'd like to donate uh, a flat sum of money, uh, you know, uh, you can do that as well by clicking on the donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, I warned you before we went into the first break that this next segment is completely politically incorrect. I could really come off looking like a jerk here. And you know what? I probably do that already. Um, but 
Here's the deal. There's a guy by the name of Matt Reynolds, retired police officer who works security over at Saddleback Community Church. And he recently gave his testimony to the teenagers, the high school youth ministry there at uh, Saddleback Church. And uh, listening to his testimony really kind of brought to light how much I think there's problems with uh, these personal testimonies. Now, here's the deal. Keep in mind that Matt Reynolds is not a theology professor. He is not an ordained minister. All right. Uh, However, keep in mind, I've made this point clear many times. We are all theologians. And sometimes if you want to get the gist of what's being taught at a church, don't go to the pastor. Don't go to the, the smartest guy in the room. Go to the everyday Joes, the guys who are working 50 hours a week in order to uh, to make ends meet. They're working blue-collar jobs. And ask them some basic theological questions. Or let them speak about God and Christ, and you'll get an idea as to whether or not they understand law and gospel, whether they are preaching works righteousness, or whether or not they're preaching salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone. Okay. Now, that being said, listen carefully. We will be doing a theological critique on Matt because he is a theologian. We are all theologians. Um, But I understand that he doesn't have the theological subtleties of, of those who are locked up in ivory towers or who preach from the pulpit. So with that said, here is Matt Reynolds. At the uh, teen, uh, the teeny bopper youth group there at uh, Saddleback Church, giving his testimony. Well, hi everybody! Welcome to HSM. Super glad that you are here tonight. It has been a great weekend already. We're very excited about our service tonight. We're starting tonight with um, a story. Um, I want to introduce you to a guy. His name is Matt. Matt Reynolds. If you're a regular here, yeah. If you're a regular here, you might already know Matt because he's one of the security guards in the refinery. And a lot of people, you know, don't like the security guards and they see them as people who take away their privileges. And yet I want to put Matt in front of you because he has an incredible story to share. It's a story about his quest for happiness as a kid and his quest to help other people on their journey towards finding Jesus today. Okay, got to stop there. Um... All right, we got a problem. All right, he, that, the, by the way, this is Josh. Who, I've talked with Josh. We've met. We've shaken hands. We've talked. Um, uh, Josh over there, who who heads up the high school ministry at uh, Saddleback, and um, the the series that they're doing there in the youth group is called Happy. Um, and uh, the reason why Matt's going to share his testimony is because he he knows something about happiness. Uh, is Christianity about happiness? Okay, we continue. We're in the finale weekend of our Happy Series. Six weeks we've been journeying together, and I want to start it off with this story from Matt. Will you guys put your hands together for Matt Reynolds? Thanks, guys. Thanks for the... Here we go. Griff mentioned that I work here on the security team at Saddleback. Uh, prior to that, I just finished a 29-year career with the Placentia Police Department. I had a plan that I was going to go off and retire, 
just live a good life and uh, do whatever I wanted. But um, those were my plans. Those were not the plans that God had for me. Uh, my boss here at Saddleback, I'd worked part-time here. He kept encouraging me to come on the staff full-time as uh, one of the supervisors, and I kept saying, nah, I, I don't think that's for me. And uh, eventually a long turn of events, well, here I am. And it's been a pretty awesome ride so far. Um, I, there's a difference between being successful and being significant, and I've learned that difference uh, working. A difference between being successful and being significant. Those are categories that Rick Warren preaches from the pulpit there at Saddleback Church. The difference between being successful and significant. Okay. Just pointing this out along the way. Again, now this is a standard kind of boilerplate testimony. And I'm not picking on Matt because I think he, you know, he's a bad guy. It's, I mean, he looks like the nicest guy. I mean, he, it looks like he would invite you to his home, make you dinner. I mean, you would have a, a fine conversation with him. Just seems like a great upstanding guy. And so, you know, I mean, it's not like he's a booger head and his mom dresses him funny or, or that he, and nothing like that. Just, you know, but we're, again, we're, again, this is politically incorrect of me to cr be critiquing a um, a personal testimony, but it's not that I'm picking on Matt. It's just that this is standard boilerplate testimony stuff, and I want you to listen. Here in just a short time in the past year, how I got here uh, was is a long story. I won't bore you with that, but one night when I was working, I met a kid down here in the skate park who uh, needed someone to talk to, and I spent about two hours with that kid, and he ended up telling me about a drug problem he had and that he really wanted to change his life and make some changes. Uh, in his life and how he was living. And we had a long talk about, about how to get off drugs. And also we had a long talk about get, getting a relationship with Jesus and how that can change. Okay, we're going to stop. Okay. <clears throat> right, okay, right off the bat. Okay, so here's the problem that's presenting. Uh, there's a kid that, that uh, and you know, the reason why he's telling the story is because there's some uh, parallel to his own life. Kid at the Saddleback Skate Park who's got a problem with drugs. He wants to... Uh, clean up his life, and uh, and so uh, he's going to tell him about having a relationship with Jesus. Okay, now here here's uh, kind of point number one as far as my critique is concerned. What about those kids who aren't doing any of that? Okay, I went to a Christian high school, and uh, Pasadena Nazarene had a big influence on uh, on the spirituality, uh, the religion uh, that was. Uh, a part of the chapel services there at uh, that the high school that I w went to, and I've heard this. Uh, I, I I kid you not. It, does, it doesn't matter that this is Matt Reynolds. I've heard this exact same speech a hundred times from different people, and it always goes along the life lines of um, somebody has some crisis in their life, some addiction, some terrible thing has happened to them. And they need Jesus in order to clean up their life, make their life better, and to, quote, be happy. And that comes through a, quote, relationship with Jesus. Um, so um, here's the deal, though. Um, I was a nerd. I've never done drugs. Never. I've never been addicted to anything. That I'm, well, at least, you know, not in the sense that I would need to go into a 12-step program. I mean... Nothing. So I, the problem when I one of the problems I hear with these types of things is is that in hearing this, it may not apply to me. 
I mean, hearing the story, I mean, yeah, this is a great story of somebody who's cleaned up their act and used Jesus to help clean up their act. But what about the kids who aren't addicted to alcohol, aren't uh, aren't engaging in premarital sex, aren't addicted to porn, aren't uh, you know all you know, the, 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 these are your your grassroots, basically moral kind of kids? What about them? And see, here's the deal. What about the kid who's cleaned up his act? Is he saved now because he's cleaned up his act? No, that's not how we're saved. So let, let's continue. Your life. And uh, after a little while, uh, he agreed to go to Celebrate Recovery, and I'm glad to say he's still in the program and still making some changes with his life. Great. Did he, re- is, did he repent and receive the forgiveness of sins offered by Christ in his death on the cross for his sins? That's my question. But after that night, I left with just such an incredible feeling that I was able to, uh, to help somebody. Um, in my career in law enforcement, I've gotten to help a lot of people, and I felt like I, I made a difference in people's lives, but not the kind of difference that I've been able to make here at Saddleback. And- uh, making a difference in people's lives. I still have no idea what that really means. And it really kind of made me uh, rethink my priorities. The reason I was able to talk to that kid about drugs and the dangers of drugs if, if he didn't change his direction, was I know very well that story because that was my story when I was growing up. My, yeah, but it wasn't mine, not even close. My summer of uh, ninth grade when I grew up, uh, prior to that my life was pretty good, although by the time I was about 13, my friends and I uh, started messing around with alcohol and drugs, and it slowly kept getting worse and worse and worse. And by the time I graduated ninth grade going into high school, um, my life took a horrible turn. What, what was supposed to be an amazing summer turned into a nightmare for me. The day after school got out, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And about two months later, she died. And then just a couple months after that, uh, my dad passed away. So now suddenly, I'm all alone in the world. I have brothers and sisters that are a lot older than me. Uh, but because I'd messed up my life so bad, they didn't really want to take me into their, into their house into their families, and at one point, I overheard a phone call uh, with one of my brothers with a social worker. They were looking into putting me into foster care. My parents had a very good uh, family friend. Yeah, but what if you're like, your parents are still alive and uh, you're like an honor student? You got anything for those people? Because they're sinners too. Who knew me and knew the destructive path that I was on, and one day, uh, he would meet me for lunch occasionally and talk to me. One day, we went to a uh, Detroit Lions game. That was actually when the Lions had a good team. They did at one time. Uh, and he started talking to me about my life and about my drug use and, more importantly, about my relationship with God and, and how, if I had one, I could change it. He didn't talk to me about re- So if, again, if I had a relationship with God, I can change my life. If I had a relationship with God. So so I've got to go get me one of those. So do I go to the God store and buy a relationship with God? You see, this is really kind of convoluted talk here. And the reason why it's convoluted, there's no clear message of law and no clear proclamation of the gospel. And, I mean, I'm listening to this. And going, I, I wonder if this guy has anything for me, or do I have to wait until I completely mess everything up? You, you see what I'm saying? If you, he's preaching the law in such a way that it's 
not really catching everybody. It's just catching those kids that are listening uh, who are addicted to drugs or alcohol or, you know. Religion. He talked to me about a relationship and the difference that it could make. And he knew I needed a fresh start. And after a little while, uh, he made some phone calls. I haven't asked. You didn't need a fresh start. Yeah, you needed that. But you also needed your sins forgiven. An uncle that lived in Anaheim. And uh, next thing I knew, my life was about to get turned upside down again. I'm on an airplane. I'm coming out here. I'm leaving all my friends and family behind. Um, I mentioned to you guys that I grew up uh, in Detroit. And I grew up with... Uh, with four very close friends. I had two sets of brothers lived on either side of me, Mike and Paul and, and Craig and Timmy. And the five of us were very close. We were thick as thieves. And I literally mean thieves, by the way. Uh, my mom always referred to us as, as the five musketeers. And about a year after I moved out to California, uh, my friend Paul died of a drug overdose. Okay, but what if you had a really good friend who didn't drive a, a, die of a drug overdose, but... Uh, was hit by a bus crossing the street or was killed uh, in a in a no-fault accident. You see what I'm saying here? Um, this isn't preaching the law in such a way that it catches us all. Suddenly five of us was now four. And eight, eight months later, my friend Timmy died. While well, he was high in cocaine, he tried running across a freeway to get to his dealer's house and was run over. Okay, I've never seen anybody high on cocaine that I'm aware of. I never, I don't know anybody who's been to a dealer's house. The, mm, again, it, one of the problems with this story is, is it doesn't catch us all as sinners and it doesn't proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. I, I, granted, it's a terrible story and kind of a nice story that he was able to clean things up. Five was now three. And two years later, my friend Craig was murdered. He was killed by someone because he had cocaine on him and they wanted his cocaine. He was actually beaten to death with a hammer. Five was now two. My friend Mike now lives in Jackson, Michigan, and he'll live in Jackson for the rest of his life because that's where the state prison is in, Mich in Michigan. Mike's the one who killed Craig. He killed his best friend with a hammer for cocaine. If you don't think drugs will make you do crazy things, there's four kids that uh, are examples. And we once said the same thing, too, about our lives. Okay, this is a fine cautionary tale about not using drugs and how it can really make your life bad. I, I, I'm not arguing that. Uh, yeah, drugs make your life bad. I'm sure that that's the case. You see, the thing is, though, the thing I'm more concerned about is the kids sitting there listening to the story and not hearing about repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name and how it applies to him, how he's the sinner. The good, upstanding, A-student, honor roll kid who has never been to a party, who uh, is involved in athletics, and for all intents and purposes looks like the kind of guy that you would like your daughter to marry. And he's a wretched sinner in need of a savior. That's, you see what I'm saying? You know. 
And back in 98, when I was back visiting people back in Michigan, I finally went to go see Mike in prison. I'd never been able to do it before. I just couldn't uh, get the courage to do it. And we had a long talk. Um, you go through about two hours of screening for a 25-minute visit when you go visit someone in prison. And uh, to this day, he has no, no memory of killing his best friend, but he has to live with that every single day of his life. And that's one of the things he told me that he remembers. Every day he has to remember that. And as I was getting ready to leave, he looked at me and said, you know, of the five of us, you're the only one that made it out. You're the only one that made something of your life. Don't waste it. Wow. <laughs> the whole drive back home, I kept thinking about that. And I kept thinking about what was the difference between me and them. The difference was I had someone who cared enough about me uh, to help me start a relationship with Jesus, to get off the drugs, to change my life. And it, that's what made the difference between me and him. And, and how do you start a relationship with Jesus? And if I'm not addicted to drugs, do I still need one? You see, that's kind of the issue here is, is that this is a story that could make you a more moral person, you know, um, but that's not going to save you, nor is it going to even help you on the day of judgment. My friend that helped me on my path, his name was Dan, and I later went to go see him and I told him about my visit with Mike and uh, told him I could never repay him for what he did for me for changing my life. And he said, you don't have to pay me anything, but you can repay me by helping a kid in your same position someday. And I'm happy to say I've been able to do that several times over. That kid in the skate park that night, I immediately reflected back to the conversation I'd had with Dan. But I don't want to stop at just one. Why not keep going? And I'm happy to say I've been able to help a lot of kids so far make some big changes in their lives. Um, being That's great. You've been able to help some kids make some big changes in their life. That's actually an important thing to do, especially if they're addicted to drugs and you're helping them to, you know, find ways of overcoming that addiction. But the, again, this is church. This is supposedly a, you know, part of the message to a group of high school Christians at a, quote, Christian church and the high school youth ministry. And the only thing I'm hearing about Jesus is he's kind of mentioned in passing, need to have a relationship with him so that you can make your life better and happy. I think this might be in, uh, the reason why Matt's speaking this way about Christ is because that's what's being taught there at Saddleback. And he, he, uh. On the security team, God constantly drops people in front of us that are hurting people, broken people that need some help. Um, and on my day of judgment, when God says to me, hey, I, I dropped so-and-so. Okay, now listen carefully. He's talking about the day of judgment. This is important. Because on the day of judgment, is anybody going to be able to stand based upon their own righteousness and the things they've done? No, not at all. Uh, when If Christ declares you to be righteous, it is because you are covered in his righteousness, given to you as a gift by faith. So listen carefully about this judgment talk here. In fact, let me back it up just a couple of seconds so that we can hear it in context. Here we go. Um, and... On my day of judgment, when God says to me, hey, I, I dropped so-and-so in front of you, what did you do for him? I want to be able to answer that. I don't want to just look at him and say, well, you know, I walked the other way, and I, I hope somebody else would help him. Nothing there about Christ's righteousness on the day of judgment. 
I want to be able to say I did the right thing. Um, yeah, the problem is, is that the law demands perfect obedience. There's so many things that I've done wrong that those can't be undone by the things I've done right. For some of you, the hole I was in, you know it very well. I know the way out of that hole, and the way out is through Jesus. How? Repentance and the forgiveness of sins? Or Jesus, the self-help guru who can help you on the right 12-step program based upon the Beatitudes called Celebrate Recovery? Am I saved if I clean up my act? I'd like to introduce you guys to someone here just real quick. My partner, Mel. Mel, could you stand up? Mel's, Mel's one of my partners here on the security team, and we work with kids on a daily basis. Uh, you know, the Bible tells us that two are stronger than one. And you know, by ourselves, we're able to help kids and do stuff, but together we make a pretty incredible team. Um, if you need help, if you need to talk to someone, Mel and I are always here. We call ourselves Team M&M. So you remember us. Just ask anybody on HSM staff or the refinery staff. They can find us. Um, nothing you can tell us would shock us. Nothing would, would make us judge you. We're just here to help you and help you on your path. Um, and I'm just glad to be here. And thanks a lot for listening to my story, guys. All right. So, um... So there was uh, Matt Reynolds' testimony. And again, I'm not picking on Matt. I mean, th I've heard his story a thousand times from a thousand different people. Uh, my issue here is is that um, in listening to this story of life change and, quote, having a relationship with Jesus, I wasn't hearing about uh, my need for a Savior, I, in, in fact, I, in listening to this, I'm, I may not need Jesus at all. I'm, I'm not addicted to drugs. I'm not addicted to alcohol. I'm not addicted to tobacco. I'm not addicted to you know, whatever. So, um, I mean, you know, I, what do I need? A Jesus then? It's a great story of, you know, somebody cleaning up their act. Uh, is somebody saved by doing that? Do I have to go through a crisis? You see what I'm saying? But when you preach the law correctly, it applies to everybody, not just the addicted. It, it applies to the honor roll student who thinks that he's a good person. It'll let him know that he's not and that he needs a savior in Jesus Christ. And the call of the gospel is not ha come and have a relationship with Jesus so that you can uh, have a happy life. And, uh, and, and, you know, make changes that'll make things better. It's repent and believe the good news of Christ and it's death and resurrection. It's big difference, big difference. We'd love to get your thoughts on it though. And, uh, if you would like to email me regarding this segment or any previous segments here on fighting for the faith, I'd love to hear from you. I do read all my emails and I'm a little behind on responding to a few. I've got a small stack of emails I need to get to. Uh, but I do not have the ability to respond to every one of them on the air, not even close. So if you'd like to email me, you can. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com or ask to be my friend on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. That's uh, my name there is Pirate Christian. When we come back, <clears throat> Sermon Cage Fight numero dos. So you don't want to miss it. We'll be right back.
unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. What if the entire resurrection was a hoax? Well, that's the premise of the book A Skeleton in God's Closet. Written by Paul L. Meyer, the story is about Dr. Jonathan Weber, a Harvard professor and biblical scholar who's looking forward to a sabbatical year on an archaeological dig in Israel. But a spectacular find that seems to be an archaeologist's dream come true becomes a nightmare that could be the death rattle of Christianity. This book is carefully researched and compellingly written. A Skeleton in God's Closet explores the tension between doubt and faith, science and religion, and one man's determination to find the truth no matter what the cost. Said Paul Erdman of the New York Times, With a skeleton in God's closet, Paul Meyer has created a new genre, the theological thriller. It reads like Robert Ludlum while expertly exploring the origins of Christianity. It's a superb book. A Skeleton in God's Closet is available at piratechristianradio.com. It's right there on the homepage. It's available for $14.99 plus $4.95 shipping and handling. And all proceeds support the ongoing work of Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com and get your copy of A Skeleton in God's Closet today. The holiday travel season is rapidly approaching, and the last thing you want to do, especially in these economic times, is pay more for airfare and travel expenses than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio's featured advertiser, Cheapo Air, I kid you not, that's their name, provides travel services that you need at the lowest possible prices. Cheapo Air is an eight-time consecutive HitWise U.S. Top 10 Award winner for diversified travel services. So if you're looking for low-cost airfares for the upcoming holiday season, Cheapo Air has what you're looking for. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, that's right, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, you will find on that page a special promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of any airfare or travel services that you purchase at Cheapo Air. That's right. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap and book your holiday travel today. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith straight ahead. Real shortly here, we're going to launch into our sermon cage fight numero dos a no holds barred sermon 
contest. I don't know what to call See, here's the deal. You know, <clears throat> when you put two sermons side by side, I mean, if you tell people, what we're going to do is we're going to have one guy preach on one text and another guy preach on another text and just kind of compare the two things, it, it's, it sounds just that nerdy. So but when you say, we're going to have a sermon cage fight, people are going, ooh, <laughs> yeah, I, I want to listen to that. <laughs> little marketing savvy there. <laughs> I really need help. Anyway, so, um, <laughs> all right, so we just got done listening to Matt Reynolds' uh, personal testimony. And now, I know some of you are singing, hey, you know, Chris, I was thinking during the commercial here, don't, aren't you overweight? Yeah, aren't you addicted to food? I found out I really wasn't addicted to food. I didn't have to go to a 12-step program to get over it. I just started moving my body and watching what I eat, and pff, pounds are falling off. No big deal. <laughs> The the big problem was maybe I was addicted to uh, doing nothing. Can you be addicted to doing nothing? Yeah, I you know. Anyway, again, my point is that you know, as wonderful as these store these personal testimonies are, my my concern is is that uh, it first of all it, it confuses law and gospel. Second, it doesn't proclaim uh, the law in such a way that it catches everybody, and it, it makes you wonder if. Uh, you know, the person who lives a, quote, morally good life is an upstanding citizen. Uh, somebody who's an honor roll student who goes to college on a scholarship, who, uh, you know, avoids the party scene, doesn't get his girlfriend pregnant, never takes uh, drugs, and uh, graduates uh, with honors from college, goes and gets a master's degree, and becomes a cubicle dweller or an accountant or somebody who, who you understand what I'm saying, never really gets in trouble, pays their taxes, all that kind of stuff. Uh, if you, these testimonies kind of make it sound like Jesus is only for the person who has the, 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 the big hiccup stories in their life, you know, the person who, uh, falls to rock bottom. But see, the thing is, is if you preach God's law correctly, it brings even the honor roll student uh, who who uh, is an upstanding moral citizen, it brings him to his knees, and it brings him to rock bottom. And when you bring somebody to rock bottom, the solution is not them going and trying to find out how to have a, quote, relationship with Jesus so they can have their life changed. No, it's repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That's that. That's the nugget of the gospel there. So you know, we preach good news to sinners, and if somebody doesn't realize they're a sinner, well, you got to preach the law in such a way that they realize that uh, that they are that this applies to them too. And Jesus is not about you having a happy life here. You might your life might be happier as a Christian, but then again, it might absolutely get worse. It, your parents might ostracize you. Your family might think that you have become a nut. You might lose your job. You, you know, you might not be promoted. You might suffer persecution. You might die a, a martyr's death. So you know, no guarantee that Christianity is going to be a happiness. All right, so so today we're doing something a little bit different. We've done this before at Fighting for the Faith, and uh, we call it our Sermon Cage Fight. Now, that being said, a couple of things up front. Number one, the pastors pre that 
or their, whose sermons are going to be put in the cage together. Neither one of them volunteered for this, and neither one of them, I, I <laughs> none of them preached the sermon with the idea that it was going to be thrown into the mix like this. The sermon cage fight, well, it's a completely artificial radio uh, thing that I've created. So keep in mind, neither one of these pastors knew that I was going to do this, and uh, as a result of it, neither sermon was preached this way. But we're going to throw the two together, and the purpose of the cage fight is not so that uh, Pastor Lastman and Pastor Goki can duke it out. No, it's so that we can see two sermons laid out side by side on the same text, and look what happens when somebody doesn't properly distinguish law and gospel and the other person does. And uh, with that, it's time for our sermon cage fight. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! That's right, it's Sermon Cage Fight time here at Fighting for the Faith. And uh, today's uh, sermon uh, uh, contestants are Jeff Goki of Cornerstone uh, Church in Chandler, Arizona, a multi-site, purpose-driven, seeker-driven church. And uh, and uh, rumbling with him today is uh, the Reverend Ernie Lastman of Messiah Lutheran Church in Seattle, Washington. Today's sermon is going to be drawn from the identically same text, Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 17. And I'm going to read it all the way to, uh, to verse 27 so that we can kind of get that thrown into the mix here. So reading from the English Sanctified Version, uh, we read, And as he was setting out on his journey, this is Jesus, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? Uh, no one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Uh, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved and jesus looked at them and said with man it's impossible but with god all things are possible that is the text that our two uh, sermon cage fight contestants will be uh, preaching from and first up is uh, jeff goki who's uh, one of the teaching pastors at cornerstone uh, church in chandler arizona a seeker driven purpose driven type of church and so without any further ado, here is our first contestant in our second ever here at Fighting for the Faith Sermon Cage Fight. The name of the sermon series, by the way, is Dilemma, our Dilemma. This is part four in their sermon series, and it's on the rich young ruler. Here is Jeff Goki. Good morning. How are we doing? You guys ready to roll? We got lots to do. Let's get excited because we got a lot to do. Okay. Um, First things first, I want to get something out of the way. I want to just uh, debunk a myth that uh, pastors 
uh, are safe and that being a pastor is a safe thing uh, because it's not. And some of you are wondering why I'm wearing this really cool Michael Jackson lookalike glove. Uh, it's because being a pastor is not safe. Uh, in July, when I was preaching on the heart, uh, Nike and I were doing this little thing where he was guarding me and I had a basketball. But when he grabbed that basketball out of my hand, he ripped my thumb back and it ripped all the tendons out of my thumb, okay? And it broke all the bone around there, okay? And so I got surgery done a week and a half ago, okay? Just so I could wear this thing for the next eight weeks because it's that cool, all right? So... Some of you are going to be distracted by it all morning. Please do not. Do not pay attention of it. Some of you will be like, man, that sermon was good, but what was that thing on his hand, okay? We've got a lot to get doing. So let's pray uh, and ask God to, to bless this morning. God, we love you. We thank you. You're a great God. Uh, thanks that you love to laugh, God, that you, you, you made laughter. And God, thanks uh, for today. God, we come to you. We submit ourselves to you this morning uh, under the umbrella of your word. God, that we would change our lives as a result of being convicted and hearing what you have to say. God, that would you cause us to move All right. in a direction? Uh... Already, we're off to a legalistic start. Uh, again, w- listen carefully for law and gospel. The purpose of the law, okay, the, the two primary purposes, the number one purpose is to convict you of your sin. Now, he's talking about that, and I, I can tell you definitively you're going to hear Jeff Gokey preach the law in such a way that he will convict people of their sin. And, and there's no problem when you do that, by the way. That's actually what you're supposed to do with the law. So you're going to hear Jeff Gokey uh, preach the law lawfully. Uh, the problem comes in the solution. Is Are you the solution? Try harder, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, just love God. Is that the solution? And the answer to the question is no, because if uh, if you were to take the law, and this is a great illustration that Brian Wolfmuller, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado, uh, uses. If you were to take God's law, the you know all of the commandments in the Old Testament, and stick them in a dehydrator, uh, uh, the thing that you would have left is love God and love your neighbor as yourself. If you were to stick the uh, the law into a dehydrator, that's what you have. So the gospel is not love God and love neighbor. That's the law. Okay. Now, second use of the law is to show us what a good work is. Okay. Now, there's three primary uses, but the, we're going to focus on those two for right now. Uh, show you what a, what you know, show you your wretchedness and sinful condition and your need for a savior. Primary use, secondary use in this sense, which happens to be the third use of the law, is to show you what a good work is. Okay, third use of the law is only for Christians. But if you're going to preach the law and convict people of their sins and then tell them that the solution is they need to commit themselves or try harder or just love God, you're giving them the law to try to solve their law problem. Uh, the, the law tells you what to do, but it doesn't give you the power to do it. And because you're already guilty of n- of not keeping the law, giving you more law is not going to help you. It's only, it's actually going to drive you to despair or make you uh, basically a hypocritical Pharisee. Keep that in mind. So already in the uh, uh, in the prayer here for the sermon, this is not starting off very well. Of obedience, God, we thank you this morning for all that you give us. And God, we want to give you the glory. We want to change the world for you. We love you. And we thank. No, I, I'm I'm not really interested in changing the world. I'm interested in doing what Christ said, and that's proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to all nations, Luke 24, or go and make disciples of all nations. That's what we're called to do. We're not called to change the world. We're called to disciple the nations and proclaim the gospel to all nations, not quote change the world. That's 
How about John? God's John. Thank you. Amen. Uh, started a series last week called Dilemma, or a couple weeks ago started called Dilemma, uh, where Jesus meets people, causes a dilemma in their lives. And by the way, anytime we meet Jesus, there's always a dilemma there. He's always calling us to do something a lot of times we don't even want to do. But in that moment, we have a choice. We can go right or we can go left. We can pursue the things of God or we're going to go the other way. A couple weeks ago, I preached on uh, the thief on the cross, comes to Jesus with absolutely nothing. He's got nothing. And yet he comes to Jesus, he humbles himself and says, I want eternal life. I believe you are God. And, and Jesus says, yes, welcome. Welcome into eternal life. Awesome, awesome. And so every moment that Jesus comes to you and I and comes to those in Scripture, people are met with a dilemma. People are met with change or die. And, and this morning, the passage we're going to be going to, can I just be real honest? I don't. We're met with the dilemma of change or die. Um, isn't that the, uh, I, 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 I'm not trying to be glib here, isn't that exactly the same message of Islam? Except for they hold a sword to your neck and say, submit or die. Is Jesus Allah? Change or die? This is not good news. This is, no, no, I couldn't, no. I get nervous very often when I preach. Uh, I'm excited, always excited. Um, I'm nervous this morning. I'm nervous. This is one of those passages where you, at first, it seems like a really nice invitation that Jesus meets and greets, and all of a sudden, he just punches this guy in the stomach, and he's going to do that to you this morning, and I'm nervous about that. All right, so Jesus is going to punch us in the stomach. Well, that's what the law does. All right, well, let's continue. I'm nervous that you'll make excuses. I'm, ner I'm nervous that this will just kind of flow over, go in one ear and out the other. Okay, already this is he's setting up the conclusion of the sermon, which is still quite a ways away. Uh, he's nervous that people are going to make excuses. So already he's trying to pre-sell you on the idea that you're going to have to do some changing. You're going to have to do something. Law or gospel? No, this is clearly law. Close our eyes and act like it didn't happen. I'm nervous. I'm, I'm nervous that you'll make excuses because of the time we're in at our church right now. And say, oh, here we go. <laughs> Look how they plan that out. How perfect. You'll make excuses. I'm nervous about that. This message was preordained before the beginning of time for this moment. And this. Really? Okay, wow. That's... <laughs> Folks, uh, you were preordained before the beginning of time to uh, hear this sermon on fighting for the faith, which, well, never mind. It's time. I'm nervous. I'm nervous that this is, doesn't become concrete in your life. And, and that you'll do that whole thing. You know, anytime you hear someone speak, there's always that moment where you're thinking about someone else, like they would, this is perfect for them. If they could just, if my wife could hear this, it would help her out so much. I'm afraid that you're going to do that this morning. Because this message, this talk from God's Word is for you and I. And it's intense. It's heavy. And can I just tell you, I myself, as studying through this, have struggled, have wrestled with God's Word. Have prayed through it. I prayed. I'm so glad you've done all that. Can we actually get to the text where you can tell us about Jesus and stop talking about yourself? For you, 
And I want you to know that, that I myself, as, I, as we go through this, I myself am working on things in my own life so that I get right, so that I can... Pre- uh, this, you're working on things in your own life that you can get them right. Yeah, this is all law. Present this to you in a non-hypocritical way so that I'm not just somebody up here saying, do this, do this, do this, and I'm not doing it in my own life. And I, I just want... To- oh, great. So you're sinless. That's the only way you can avoid hypocrisy at this point. I get the feeling we're not really going to hear the gospel on purpose. We might hear it accidentally, but I don't think we're going to hear it on purpose at this point. I want you to know that, that as we enter into God's word this morning, that it is something for all of us, and it's something that I'm struggling with, and that I'm moving forward in through God's grace. So uh, let's uh, get... So God's grace is helping you move forward in life change. This is the Roman Catholic view of, uh, of grace, by the way. Get going. Uh, Mark 10, verse 17. Uh, for those of you who come to Cornerstone, you're used to us going through a scripture, but we're going to go through this like a Bible study, which means we're going to go through verse by verse, and we're just going to shred it apart, which is awesome. I love it. Okay? And so if you have your Bibles, get a pen out and start writing notes, because you're going to learn stuff this morning. Start digging in with me. So we're going to go to Mark 10, uh, verse 17 is where we're going to get started. Okay? Uh, some background. Jesus has been traveling around doing a bunch of teaching. He's been doing a bunch of teaching, and that's why in your Bible, if you have a red letter Bible, there's lots of red. It's like all over the place. Because he's traveling here, he's traveling to Nazareth. Oh, boy. Whew, that was deep. He's traveling all over the place, and he's proclaiming the name of Jesus. Okay, he's healing people. He's doing really great things. And I love that about Jesus. I love that Jesus isn't like, come to church on Sunday morning, and I'm going to give a killer message, okay? That Jesus is out and about every day is church for him, right? He's just giving the message wherever he goes. He's feeding people. He's healing people. It's awesome. So Jesus is out and about doing this in this particular story that we're going to be studying this morning well that whew, i'm glad he gave the historical background on that you could probably n- not fill a thimble with that information is known as the story of the rich young ruler now the way we get that is through the synoptic gospels okay the synoptic gospels are matthew mark and luke Okay, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all say that this man that Jesus is about to encounter is rich. Okay, Luke talks about him and says that he's a ruler. Okay, Uh, Matthew says he's a young guy. Okay, so you see that through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's three different perspectives on the same story, and that's how we get the title, the rich young ruler. It's scripture saying three different things the same way. Does that make any sense? Okay? It's three different perspectives on a story. Nowhere does it say in any Matthew, Mark, and Luke that he was a rich young ruler, but their perspective brings out each one of those nuggets. You got it? Okay, good. So let's dig in. Oh, I'm so excited. Here we go. Verse 17. As Jesus was starting out on a trip, a man came running up to Jesus, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what should I do to get eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. Here's a weird moment. This man, okay, this rich young ruler is running to Jesus, right? He falls down on his knees. He says, good teacher. Okay? And this is a weird moment because this. Here's Jesus. Jesus is a nomad Nazarene, right? He's just all beat up. He's dusty. And here's this guy who's like 
delicately dressed, right? He, he looks beautiful. He's got colors on and color uh, signified wealth, right? And he falls down before Jesus and he says, good teacher. It, it, it's kind of like this. It's like Bill Gates running to Billy Graham and falling down at Billy Graham's feet and going, oh, good teacher. Oh, good teacher, right? And that's the moment. It's just bizarre. It's a little weird. And the weirder part about it is that he calls him good teacher. Now, nowhere in the Bible and nowhere historically has that ever been said of a rabbi. Okay, Jesus was a rabbi, which means teacher. In fact, if you were to come to a rabbi and call him good, he would say there's only, things that, there's only two things that are good, the law and God. Okay, so when this man falls on Jesus's feet and yells, good teacher, he's kind of starstruck, right? He's kind of like, oh, I've heard about this Jesus. He's awesome. Oh, my goodness. And, and he's kind of flattering Jesus, kind of softening, trying to soften him up, right? Oh, good teacher. He falls down his feet, all dressed in all his garb and color and wealth. Everything, he falls down at Jesus, and Jesus does something great. Jesus says in verse 18, why do you call me good? Jesus asks, only God is truly good. I love that. You know why? Jesus diverts all the attention from him to God. And what Jesus is doing is setting... Um, Mr. Pastor Goki, um, you are aware that Jesus is God in human flesh. You know, I'm just saying this because uh, you're kind of missing a big point here is that this is kind of a veiled reference to Jesus' own deity. He is, after all, God, the one true God in human flesh. ...up where he is about to go. He's saying, whoa, 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 you think this is about me? This is not about me. This is about God. You need to redirect your attention to God. I wish more pastors did that. Right? When people... That wasn't what was going on there. Um, yeah, you're losing points in the cage fight now. ...came up and talked. That they would say, this is not about me. This is about God and his work. It's an act of humility. It's not about me. You've got it all wrong. You're throwing your face down on my feet when you should be throwing it down before the throne of God. You get it? Uh, you are aware of the passages where it's very clear that Jesus received worship from his disciples. They actually worshipped him, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. Oh, man. He's kind of misguided. He's kind of flattering Jesus, trying to butter him up because he's got a question. And his question is this. What should I do to get eternal life? We go, wow, it's a great question. What do I do to get... It's actually, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Kind of an important word there in the text shows a, something wrong with his thinking. Eternal life. And I find it interesting that here is a man with everything. Every materialistic thing that, that we could ever want, we could ever dream. I mean, this guy has got the nicest, you know, donkey on the block, right? He just walked up to the dealership and was like, I don't want that one. What kind of features does it come out? Well, it doesn't stink that bad. I'll take it, okay? Like, he's got everything. He's, he's got a nice house. He, he's got authority. He's got position. He's got beautiful garments, so probably purple, to signify how powerful he is. He's got everything. And yet, there's something he doesn't have. Because what this man is looking for is peace with God. 
He's looking for true joy and true satisfaction, and he doesn't have it. He's got everything else that you could ever want, but something is missing. You ever felt like that? Like, I got so much, but there's something, I, I want that. I want eternal life. What do I have to do to get it? Because his whole life was about, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? Oh, I have to work harder to get my money? Okay, cool. Well, what do I have to do? So he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what do I have to do to get eternal life? Jesus does something amazing because he's Jesus. Uh, verse 19. But as for your question, the question of how do I get eternal life? You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not testify falsely. Do not cheat. Honor your father and your mother. In verse 20, he says, Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was a child. This guy is stoked. Yay! I've done all that stuff. Woo! Is that all it was? Oh, that's great. But here's what Jesus did. Something really great. Jesus... <laughs> um... um... Kind of missing the point there of the law. Um, is that all it is? Makes it sound like the law is just so simple. How's that working out for all of you out there listening? Um, how are you doing at uh, keeping the law? Keep in mind, you got to keep it perfectly. Uh, tough to tick that one off, don't you think? You know. Jesus took the second half of the Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments... Okay, now listen carefully. The, Goki here, Pastor Goki, is, is correctly identifying the fact that Jesus is talking second table of the law, not first table. First table of the law has to do with our hor- uh, our vertical relationship you know, to God and our relationship with God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Those are that, that has to do you know, with a, a vertical between you and God. Jesus is quoting second table, which is horizontal between you know our relationship with others. Now listen carefully to what he's doing here. Funny enough, he's going to I, properly identify the sin, but he, he kind of trips over it and doesn't even realize that that's the main point. But uh, pay attention. I'll kind of point it out as we go. They're split up into two sections. How we deal with God and how we deal with others. Got it? Jesus is setting him up for what he's about to drop. This dilemma that he's about to drop in his lap. Jesus is setting him up. And Jesus says to him, what have you done? How have you treated other people? And he goes, well, I haven't committed adultery. I haven't done any of those things that you talked about. And this guy's feeling pretty good about himself. He's going, yay, I'm a good guy. I deserve eternal life, Jesus. I'm great. But isn't this in stark contrast to the criminal on the cross? Yes, it is. Stark contrast. Thief on the cross. Dying, experiencing a very torturous form of capital punishment, getting what he deserved for his thievery. And uh, he he is the one who gets to uh, be with Christ in paradise that day. He goes, Jesus, I, I, I look what I've done. I've done all these great things. I love this. Verse 21, Jesus felt genuine love for this man as he looked at him. You know, my whole life I grew up thinking that Jesus was pointing his finger at me and waiting for me to just do something wrong so he could get me. Right? I was just so wor- I always worried about that. 
And we see in this moment that when Jesus comes and is about to drop this dilemma in this guy's lap, really get up in his face, he loves him. Can I just tell you this morning, as you're about to hear God's word with absolute clarity, that Jesus loves you. And that his tone in this is not pointing his finger in your face, not thumping his chest. His attitude in this is love. Okay, great point. And funny enough, you know, he, he's, he's heading in a gospelish direction. Hmm. Love. He loves you. He wants you to get this. You know, one of the hardest... He, he wants me to get this. Here we go. That's law. Things to do as a parent is to punish my kids. And by the way, in our house, we spank, right? Because it's biblical, right? Some of you need to spank your kids. Your neighbors are going like this. You, he's talking to you. Your little brat needs spanked. <laughs> we spank our kids because it's biblical. And I hate it. But can I tell you, when I hold my son after I've got done punishing him and he's crying I love you. I love you so much. I just want you to get this. I just want you to... That's Jesus' attitude. I love this guy. Remember, this is the same Jesus that hangs from a cross. And just a week earlier, the people are yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Okay, now, he just mentioned Jesus hanging on the cross. Uh, This would be a great point to interject the gospel. It's never too early in a sermon, by the way, to bring the gospel. Uh, I mean, yesterday's sermon, Jeremy Rohde, I mean, he led off with the gospel. Uh, are we going to hear it? Did we talk about Jesus on the cross? What's he doing there? And now we're yelling, crucify him. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Okay, now that's a gospel nugget, a full-blown gospel nugget. It, it It's kind of a point in, well, it's going to evaporate quickly. That Jesus loves you. That Jesus loves this man so much. And this is the dilemma. Verse 21. You lack only one thing. Not a lot of stuff. One thing. And it's a biggie. Go. You lack only one thing and it's a biggie. The thing he lacked, by the way. Let me go back to the text. Let me point it out to you before he does. <clears throat> a lot of people miss this. <clears throat> Let me go back. Here we go. Well, Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Listen carefully. Watch, see if you can see it. As he was setting out his journey uh, on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before Jesus and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone, pointing to his own deity. Uh, You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I've done all these things from my youth. And Jesus said, Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, I'm going to read it out of order here so you can see it. Ready? Follow me. The thing the guy lacked was Jesus. See, it's in there. Okay? And you can miss it because you lack one thing. Sell all you have, give to the poor, you have treasure in heaven. You think that's the thing he's missing. No, Jesus said, follow me. That's exactly what he said to 
Matthew, the tax collector. That's what he said to Peter and Andrew and James and John. Follow me. This is what he said to the rich young ruler. Follow me. The thing the guy was missing was not that he not. The thing he was missing was Jesus. It's right there in the text. And following Jesus does not mean following his example, being a morally good person, wearing a what would Jesus do bracelet. It means repenting and trusting in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, realizing you have nothing to offer God, that you are a wretched sinner, and without Christ, you don't stand a snowball's chance in Hades of not being thrown into hell. You see, the answer to the thing was, follow me. That's the answer to the question. The thing he's missing is Jesus. Anyway, let's uh, let's see what um, <clears throat> Pastor Goki brings up at this point. And sell all you have and give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went sadly away because he had many possessions. What a terrible passage. Is terribly heavy. What Jesus says to this man is, you've just got done telling me how great you are. Telling me all the stuff you have and have not done. But Jesus' question to this man is profound for this man and for you and I. This is a question that should rattle your brain, should convict your heart. What are you doing with what God has given to you? Because this man... That's the question. What are you doing with what God has given to you? As if uh, if you answer that question correctly, you can, quote, inherit eternal life. Yep, this is all law here. This is not really gospel. I mean, you heard kind of a gospel crumb flying through at a very rapid speed. I didn't calculate it, unfortunately. Uh, But... um, no, that's not what's going on here. Now, funny enough, Pastor Goki here is going to trip on the right thing. Uh, Jesus goes to the first table. First table of the law has to do with our relationship with God. And the problem here is idolatry. That's the sin that's the problem here. Jesus is using the law to show him his sinfulness. The reason why he goes away sad is because he's guilty of idolatry. And funny enough, I think Pastor Goki here is going to name that sin by name. But the solution to idolatry is not for you to try harder to uh, to you know to put God first rather than money. It's repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Comes to Jesus and says, "Look at all the stuff I haven't done. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't lied. I haven't sinned." And Jesus says, "You keep telling me about all the stuff you haven't done, but what have you done with what I've given to you?" This man has so much money. He's incredibly wealthy. He's got prestige and power. And Jesus says, "What are you doing for others? Because you seem to be taking care of yourself pretty good." No, actually, uh, remember the list of things that the guy, it's not how are you doing with others. Remember, the guy said he hasn't murdered, he hasn't committed adultery, he hasn't stolen, he hasn't borne false witness, he hasn't defrauded, and he's honored his father and mother. Uh, so apparently this guy treats others really, really well. 
he's, quote, loving his neighbor. The issue is idolatry. The issue is, is that money is the God that he worships and trusts in. See, this is what happens when you don't understand how to properly do law and gospel. What are you doing for others? We think this passage is, is Jesus saying, be poor. You need to be poor, and that's the only way you're going to get into heaven. That's traditionally how this passage has been read. But can I just tell you that Jesus' heart in this passage is not that? Jesus' heart in this, in this passage is, what are you doing with what I've given to you? No, it's not. It has to do with idolatry, and Jesus told the kid to come follow him. Same way he asked, the, the, he told the disciples to come follow him. Same exact words, come follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross, repent, receive the forgiveness of sins. <laughs> How are you doing unto others that you have done to yourself, the golden rule? And Well, according to the golden rule, this guy stands up pretty well. His problem is first table, it's idolatry. Matthew 7. Church, what are you doing with what God's given to you? And essentially what Jesus... Pack your bags. We are going on a guilt trip. Here we go. Now, he's going to preach the law here. You're going to hear the law. And funny enough, it's it's going to actually be preached lawfully in some places. The saying to this man is this. You say you're great. You say you're obedient. You say you're all these things. And you're so wonderful. Put your money where your mouth is. No, Jesus' solution wasn't for him to nail the law perfectly. It was to follow Jesus. The thing he was missing was Jesus. Go sell all your stuff and really find out what true living's about. And this man says, no. How sad. Do you know that's the condition of our United States of America? Do you know that's the condition, I believe, of our churches? But we're not growing, not numerically, but spiritually. Because Jesus says in Matthew earlier on, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. What you value most in this life, what you worry about, what you wrap your life around is where you will head and who will be your king. Are you worshiping the creator or all the stuff he created? Idolatry. That's the sin of idolatry. Right. Good point. <clears throat> I knew he could do the law lawfully if he tried. And the stuff he created was given to you by God because he wants you to go do something with it. Not <sighs> to build up storehouses. Not to just throw it in a bank account or a 401k. It's to position yourself for the kingdom of God. So you, you got to position yourself for the kingdom of God. Get cracking. Start positioning. What position do I need to be in again? And you know why we resist this passage? Do you know why we hate to talk about this stuff? It's because America, guess what? Church, we're rich. We're rich. We're filthy, rotten, rich. And we resist this passage because we go, that's not me. I don't have a lot. 
I don't have a lot of stuff. I don't drive a nice car. I don't live in a fancy house. I don't eat out all the... We don't think we're rich. And so we read this passage and you go, well, that's for the rich people. You know, and later on, he says it's harder for them to get into the kingdom of heaven. It's hard- <clears throat> um, however, um, listen, regardless of whether or not somebody thinks they're rich, the one thing we can all relate to is the sin of idolatry. <sighs> hard for a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven. We go, yeah, that's right. That's us. We're the rich young ruler. Do you know that half of our world, three billion people live off of two and a half dollars a day, less than. Do you know that 80% of our world lives on less than $10 a day? 80% of our world lives on less than $10 a day. If you woke up this morning and you turned on the faucet and had clean water, you're rich. If you drove a car here this morning, you're rich. So do I need to feel guilty about this? Did Christ die for this? Again, this is a really muddy, messed up, no proper distinction of law and gospel, and no clear presentation of the gospel at this point. Just uh, kind of a naggy law thing. And funny enough, he's identified the sin of idolatry here. Again, I think he tripped over it. If you have food in the pantry, you're rich. We even let things expire. We're rich. If you have a mattress, you're rich. Table, chairs, couches, you're rich. A TV, you're rich. We are so rich. Do you know that last year we spent $22 billion on cosmetics, paint in the barn? Okay, yeah, that, yeah, is that a sin? Do I, do I need, uh, can God forgive me for that? Do you know we spent $9.5 billion at Starbucks? At, just at Starbucks. We spent $82 billion on clothes. We spent, check this, $55.5 billion trying to lose weight while the rest of the world is trying to gain weight. We've got so much, we're trying to lose weight. While the rest of the world is just wanting to have a meal. We spent $110 billion last year on fast food. While, as, as Bono would say, the rest of the world is just looking to eat the scraps off our table. $100 billion on electronics and $600 billion on cars. Do you know that 2,500 kids a day, according to UNICEF, die of poverty? Die. You know, 1.4 million kids die a year because they just don't have clean water to drink. America, we're rich. Church, you're rich. We have so much. We've been given so much. We've been given so much to do so much with. And yet, like the rich young ruler, we start worshiping the stuff instead of the creator of the stuff. And that's called idolatry. That first table, come back to the first table, that's the sin here. You kind of tripped on it there, uh, Jeff. Um... And the question 
that you, should, uh, you and I should wrestle with this morning, and believe me, I've wrestled with it. I'm so glad you've wrestled with it. It makes me feel so much better. Is what are we doing to influence the world with what God has given to us? What are we doing to influence the world with what God? Where is that uh, particular question laid out for us in Scripture? I'm serious. Oh. Because if we were really truthful, we're, we're, we're so up to debt. Up to, we're up to our necks in debt so much that we can't help the world. We've got bigger cars. Oh, man. Uh, we're up to our necks in debt, so now we can't help the world. That's what's really at the heart of this parable. Law, law, more law, law, and some more law. Would you like some law with your law? Or would you like more law with your law while having some law? This is, where's the gospel, Jeff? And more fancier houses than you can imagine. So that at the end of the day, we say, we can't help anybody. I'm too strapped, man. And God would say, then who's your God? Right. That's idolatry. That, yes, that's the law. Yeah, and you're preaching it. Yeah. Are you going to give me the gospel, the forgiveness of sins won by Christ? Who are you really following? Do you worry about the things that Jesus worries about? Are you like the rest of the people in America who are freaking out because their portfolios are looking the way they are? So let me see if I have this right. Is it wrong to have a portfolio? I mean, where's the sin here again? You tr keep tripping over it. You throw it out there and you don't even realize you're, you're, you're getting it right. It's called idolatry. Worshipping, fear-loving and trusting in something other than the one true God. It's the root of all of our sins. And their mortgages are higher than they thought. Because they've wrapped their whole lives. We've wrapped our whole lives around the comfort of the stuff. When Jesus was like, I just want you to wrap your life around me. Law? No, he wants us to repent and receive the forgiveness of sins from him. I told you this was tough. Can I just tell you? Well, the reason it's tough for me has nothing to do with the fact that you're teaching a tough passage. It's that you're, you're kind of missing the whole main point, and you keep convoluting law and gospel. Actually, there is no gospel in here. It, it, we got a crumb that came through. See if you can actually redeem yourself here. <clears throat> Actually, that's tough to do. That's why we need Christ. Otherwise, we, yeah, never mind. I struggle with this. I know you're struggling with it. I hope you are. I hope you feel convicted and heavy this morning. I do. I'm great. Are you going to give them the gospel now that you, quote, convicted them and made them feel heavy? Or are you just going to leave that burden on them? Pray that on you. Can I tell you, as, as I sit in my oh, or 1998 Saturn station wagon with 156,000 miles on it that I don't think, man, I would love a new car. Well, aren't you holy? But it's paid off. So what? Are you going to heaven because of that? 
I mean, I, I absolutely struggle with this. Patty and I are debt-free and work very hard to be debt-free. Oh, yeah, you're so, wow, dude, you're so holy. Oh, let me uh, bow in your presence. You're out of debt. Oh, you're so godlike. I tell you, I struggle with stuff. And I know you do, too. And so I, I come to you this morning as a, as a fellow sojourner, as somebody who is doing this with you and begging you to wrestle with this. No, thanks. I'd rather just be forgiven of it. I'd rather repent and receive the forgiveness of sins from Christ. Begging you to submit your lives to God. and to... Law, there's the solution. Submit your lives. Oh, brother. Like, I could even do that anyway. And like, you really even do it. Come on. How's that working out for you, by the way? Stop submitting your lives to stuff. It's squelching the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do through you and what you've been given. Do you get that? How huge this is? And there is a solution. Matthew 5, 3 begins uh, the Beatitudes, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And, and Jesus sits down, and as he's preaching this, he says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Keep in mind, that's indicative, not imperative. It's stating a statement of fact. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's not saying, you need to be more poor-like. It's not an imperative, it's an indicative. Listen to yesterday's edition of Fighting for the Faith to kind of clear you up on that one. For they will inherit the earth. Love that. The word poor there is the word in Greek, tokwas, that comes from the root word. <laughs> Wait a second. How did you pronounce that? Hold on a second. I got to just. Uh... Oh, that was funny. Hang on a second. Got to make sure I, I'm not laughing incorrectly here. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Okay, here we go. Three. Uh, um, you know, to, it's a pi tau, uh, omega chi omicron sigma, tokas. You know, I guess the. Okay, yeah. Let, let me see how he pronounced that again. He he almost said it was kind of a French flair. Hang on a second. I want to see what he says here. Three begins uh, the Beatitudes. Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. And, and Jesus sits down, and as he's preaching this, he says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the earth. Love that. The word poor there is the word in Greek, tokwas, that comes from the root word, tosian, which basically means... Yeah, he said it kind of with a French thing going on there. I, I, I apologize. That was just to, <clears throat> We continue. It's poor, but it's not poor like you and I think. Like, oh, man, I didn't get my latte this morning. I'm so poor. It's po so poor that I am utterly dependent on somebody to give me food, that I'm on my knees, my hands are in the air, I'm completely submissive to whomever provides for me. Hey, yes, that is correct. That is exactly what tokas means. However, you're kind of missing 
some something very important. Um, it's tokoi toi numatai. Poor in spirit. Not just poor, but poor in spirit. What does that mean? You're a spiritual beggar. You want to know what a spiritual beggar looks like? Look at the tax collector in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. That's what poor in spirit looks like. We continue. And it says that as you and I move our lives in that manner towards our heavenly father, that God, we are completely dependent upon you. That we have nothing that hasn't been given to us. God says, blessed are the poor in spirit. For they're going to see cool things happen. They're going to see me. <laughs> they're going to see cool things happen. <sighs> and notice he's turning it into an imperative. It's not an indicative. He's preaching it like it's an imperative. It's something you got to do. Use them in a powerful way. I'm going to use everything that I have given to them in a powerful, powerful way because they have come to me like the man hanging on the cross. It says, Jesus, I have nothing to offer you. The stark, the stark difference is that this guy has not obeyed any commandments. Okay, now this sounds like the gospel. It sounds like we're getting really close to the gospel here. Pay real close attention and see if you actually hear the gospel. Christ crucified for our sins. He has stolen. He has lied. He has robbed. And Jesus says, welcome into my kingdom. Because you have emptied yourself. Welcome into my kingdom because you've emptied yourself? You just turned that into a work that we have to do in order to have salvation? <clears throat> are you, you you are kind of missing the big important thing going on there see there's the thief on the cross next to him is god in human flesh naked and bleeding suffering hmm what was jesus doing up on that cross something comes to mind here oh i know he was dying for his sins It's not, oh, you can come into my kingdom because you've emptied yourself. You can come into my kingdom because I'm bleeding and dying for you right now. This guy is seeing the gospel with his own two eyes. And he's repentant and contrite. There's the Holy Spirit working on him, working repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus declares to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Not because of anything that guy did, but because of what Jesus was doing for him right there and then. <sighs> Welcome. And this man over this guy, this rich young ruler has obeyed all the commandments. He's a good guy. And Jesus says, you lack one thing. It's all about you and your stuff, and it's not about me. And the man turns his back and walks away. To sum up 
this beatitude, this is what essentially what this is saying. Blessed are those, that's you and I, blessed are those who have realized their own helplessness. Do you feel helpless this morning? About what? My sinful condition or helpless? What am I supposed to feel helpless about again? Not helpless in, I don't have enough money. Not helpless in, my mortgage is, is, is too high. But helpless in, I have nothing that doesn't come from the hand of God. And who put their whole trust in God. That you would say at the Trust end, him for, and I have to do this. I, I'm the one, you're turning the faith into a work that I have to do. Law, there is no gospel here. This is all law. Even the gospel is being run through the law. End of the day, God, I'm completely empty. Let me have whatever you give me. My breath, my steps, my life. Thank you. And as a result of that, we go out and we serve the world with everything we've been given. This morning you woke up, you took a big breath, which is a reminder to you that God still has a plan for your life. Really, um, how do I, how do you know? I mean, how do you know I'm not going to get into the PCR mobile, drive over to the studio and get clobbered? Otherwise, he'd snuff it out because he's the giver and taker of life. That for those of you, us Americans, who have so much, God says, use it for my glory. Use it for my glory. Use it to help other people. Keep in mind, the context of the story here, the question on the table is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's preaching the answer to this question as do stuff for my glory. Apparently, that's the thing that will help you inherit eternal life. You see how convoluted this has become? Staggering statistic that I learned this week. 12% of Bible-believing, church-going, prayer-warrior Christians, 12% of them tithe. Here's another mind-blowing statistic. 100% of all Christians sin. You got anything for that? Nationwide. That means 12% are covering the deficit for the other 88% who are so wrapped up into the stuff. Can I tell you, as I did the math this week, that was a $70 billion hit. That the church of Jesus Christ could be moving out and helping this world. But because we've wrapped our lives around the... Helping the... We're called to not help the world. We are called to disciple the nations. Big difference. Stuff. We're not having kingdom influence in the world. We're not. Oh, no. We're not having kingdom influence. <laughs> Being the hands and feet of Christ. You get that. $70 billion. Since when does money equal, quote, kingdom influence? Last time I read my Bible, a bunch of poor fishermen set out and proclaimed repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name because of his vicarious death on the cross. 
with really hardly any money at all, and somehow that was the message that changed the world. But they didn't set out to change the world. God changed the world through the preaching of the gospel. Yeah, thank you for that that sigh. Oh, yes, that was a very holy, pietistic sigh. So the question this morning is, what are you going to surrender to? Oh, no. Really? What am I going to surrender to? How do I go about the surrender? Do I wave a white flag? Uh, Do I sign a treaty? uh. Are you going to be like the Roman centurion who completely surrenders his life and says, I trust you. I have absolute faith in you. And just God says, I reward you. Uh, Notice he's turning faith into a work. Amazing. Like, like, like a criminal hanging on the cross who says, I got nothing. Would you save me? And Jesus says, yes. Or are you going to be like Judas? Are you going to be like the rich young ruler who says, it's all about the stuff for me. It's all about the evidence. It's all about everything other than God. What will you surrender your life to? No, this is, by the way, this we're closing up this sermon here. Um, what are you going to surrender your life to? This is the big close. This is the fat lady singing in the sermon. What are you, you going to do? What are you going? No forgiveness of sins. Nothing that Christ has done. Everything you've got to do. This is a crossless, Christless Christianity. This is all you do, you do, you do. Two. There's an amazing quote in, uh, I, I do most of my study through William Barclay's commentaries. Uh, he's a theologian and a commentator, and he says this. I love- Listen carefully. T- what you are about to hear is the most supreme confusion of law and gospel I've heard in a long time. Remember, what is the, the biggest, what is the summary of the law? If you take the law and stick it in a dehydrator, what have you got left? Love God. And love your neighbor as yourself. That is not the gospel. That is the condensed, really calorie-rich, packed uh, condensation of the law. Love God is law, not gospel. It's law. Listen carefully. Love this. If we would find eternal life. Okay, if we would find eternal life. Okay, here we go. we got to find eternal life. How do we find it? If we would find happiness, joy, satisfaction, peace of mind, and serenity of heart, it will not be by piling up a credit balance with God through keeping commandments, observing rules and regulations. It will be... Okay, it's, if, if we're going to have peace, it's not going to be through keeping commandments, okay? This sounds like we're heading towards the gospel. So how do... Okay, if it's not going to be by keeping commandments, how is it I'm going to have this? Through listen to this, church reproducing God's attitude of love and care to our neighbors. So it's not going to be through commandments, but it's going to be three through reproducing God's attitude of care by loving God and loving neighbor. That's the law. That's the commandments condensed. This is circular law reasoning. There's no, there's no gospel in here. Let me back that up. You got to hear this again. Just it, this is jaw droppingly bad. Really, really jaw droppingly bad. You think you're going to hear the gospel, and what do you get? The summary of the law. 
do most of my study through William Barclay's commentaries. Uh, he's a theologian and a commentator, and he says this. I love this. If we would find eternal life, if we would find happiness, joy, satisfaction, peace of mind, and serenity of heart, it will not be by piling up a credit balance with God through keeping commandments, observing rules and regulations. It will be through, listen to this, church, reproducing God's attitude of love and care to our neighbors. That's the, all of the commandments summed up. That's the law. To follow Christ and in grace and generosity to serve the men and the women for whom Christ died. Law. Are one and the same. That's why Jesus says the first, the number one first greatest commandment, singular, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Law. This is not gospel. This is law. Soul, mind, and strength. And to love others is as equally important. It's one command. That's the law. That's commandment keeping. The gospel is that Christ died for our sins, a.k.a. our lack of commandment keeping. If we're going to inherit eternal life, it's not going to be by commandment keeping. And telling me to love God and love my neighbor is exactly that, commandment keeping. And then he ends by saying this. Those who put things before people and self before others must turn their backs on Jesus Christ. I am going to puke. What will you surrender to? Law, law, no gospel, law, law, commandment keeping, even though he says it's not, it is. Will you surrender to the creation? You haven't even surrendered yourself, sir, because you still sin every day. Or the to the creator. And I, I would beg of you this morning that you would wrestle with this. Do not let this just ripple off, but wrestle with this tension that you feel in your soul right now. You, 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 okay, sure. You've, you've basically made people feel terrible because they're not keeping the law. And now you're basically telling them that they've got to wrestle with this, but you're not giving them the solution, which is Jesus Christ. This is just sadistic. Because scripture says to whom much is given much is required. Maybe honor God Ugh. with all we have for the law, 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 no gospel, law, glory, and the honor of Jesus. Amen. Let's all right. So there it is, uh, contestant number one in our sermon cage fight. Oh, that was. Uh, all right, we're going to switch gears now. We're going to put uh, Ernie Lastman of uh, Messiah Lutheran Church in Seattle, Washington, now into the sermon cage. Uh, for the second half of our sermon cage fight. And listen carefully. This is the same text. He's preaching on the exact same text as you just heard Jeff Gokey preach nothing but law, no gospel on, complete works righteousness, pharisaical self-righteousness. And uh, and this is um, uh, Pastor Lassman of uh, Messiah Lutheran Church. And l see if you can hear the difference. Uh, it's, it's pretty stark. Pastor uh, Lassman's sermon is half the length of uh, Pastor Gokey's. So here's Ernie Lassman. Grace, mercy, and peace be from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our sermon for this morning is based upon our gospel reading. It's on the back of your bulletin for further review. My fellow redeemed in Christ, 
Let's say you wanted to go from here to Tacoma. Would you head north or south? Well, if you're in Seattle, you would head south. Well, of course, you can do whatever you want. But I would suggest that you go south. Otherwise, you might end up in Everett. Okay, let's say you want to take a trip to Leavenworth just for a visit, a little vacation. Which direction would you go? Would you take a ferry to the west or would you go east? Now, again, you can do whatever you want. But I would suggest that you go east or you might end up in Bremerton. Perhaps you know where I'm going with this, and so it is with God and eternal life. If a person wants the one true living God and eternal life, well, they can do whatever they want. But they might end up in the wrong place. Instead of eternal life, eternal death. For we know that there's only one way, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ but sadly and tragically, you know that many people think there are many ways to the one true living God and to eternal life, including that beautiful, glamorous, wonderful highway that's entitled, I am a good person. And that's what our text is all about this morning. As Jesus answers that question, what is the road to eternal life? There is indeed a very, very popular highway to God that is built by human effort. This was the road that the rich man was on in our text. He placed his hope of having eternal life on his being a good person. And this opinion was simply reinforced by his wealth. All his money and his stuff. What's the connection? Well, obviously, with all his things in life, God must have been happy with him. And how he was living, otherwise he wouldn't have had so many things in this world. And so, in other words, the, his highway to God was being a good person. And you can already see this in the question that he asked Jesus. Let's hear it again. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? See? This highway marked to heaven called, I am a good person. And he was building this highway all by himself, by his own efforts and his own good works, by how he lived. But when Jesus told him, well, keep the commandments, the rich man said, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Really? No, not really. That's the problem that Jesus is trying to fix in our lesson for this morning. Ah, oh, but this rich man's highway is very common, isn't it? Many people think they can get to God and eternal life by being a good person. And in a way, they are simply reflecting the way of the world. Don't you have to work for what you get in this life? Don't you have to do something? Get out there. That's what life is all about. You want to be successful, you better get to school, and you better study hard. Because if you don't do that, maybe you'll fail school and you won't get a good job and if you do get that good job you better work really hard and work your way up the ladder because somebody may pass you by or you may get fired well there's a lot of truth to that isn't there that often is the way of the world there's only one problem with that that's not the way it works with God and the reason of course is very simple and we can't be good enough we can't be nice enough we can't try hard enough and God is not simply satisfied with doing our very best because our very best is never good enough 
in his sight. And again... Okay, notice. Pastor Lastman here is... Basically, the the sin he's going after is the good enough sin. He's going after people who think they're good enough. And he's basically disavowing them of that particular notion and preaching the law in such a way that it's smashing self-righteousness and, and uh, this idea that you can go to heaven by being a good enough person. That should not surprise us because isn't that even the way of the world sometimes too? Somebody gets fired from their job even though what? They were doing the very best job they could. Somebody gets cut from the team. Why? Because their best wasn't good enough. And so it is with God. It's impossible to construct our own highway to God. And it all really comes down to that one little four-letter word, good. The rich man called Jesus good teacher. And what was Jesus' response? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Did you get that? No one is good except God alone. We'll get back to how this applies to Jesus. And the, well, that was a great point, too. Boy, I'm glad he pointed that out. Just a minute. But for, ma for now, this man was being told by Jesus, if he had been listening, no one he is was good. not good. Great point, Pastor Lastman. Jesus said no one is good except for God. Jesus, in a very real way, just told this guy he wasn't good. Ha! Huh. Love it when you stick to the text and you got law and gospel properly distinguished, because then you can dig this stuff out right. And thus, despite what he had said, he had not kept the commandments the way God wanted them to be kept perfectly. And now let's get just a little bit personal. Since only God is good, by implication, that means I'm not good. And neither are you. Now, this is kind of tough. When you think of yourself as a good person, it's kind of shocking and unsettling to hear that we are not good. But this is very, very important because you see, if you and I think of ourselves as good, and I would suggest that we have a tendency to do that, then in order to have the one true living God and eternal life, we will have a tendency to rely on how good we are, rather than relying on Jesus and will end up in the wrong direction, in the wrong place. A few verses after our text, Jesus said this to the disciples after this incident with this rich man. How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Now, the disciples, as you know, were often confused. And they were trying to figure out what's going on here and what was Jesus doing with this man. And so when they heard Jesus say this, they're even more confused. And they asked that question. That is a logical question. Well, who then can be saved? That's in verse 26. And here comes the answer. Let's hear the trumpets. Let's have a little bit of a drum roll here because here comes the answer Jesus says in verse 27. With man, it is impossible. But not with God. Did you get that too? Salvation is impossible with man and it's only possible with God. 
Got it. Yep, great point. It's impossible for man to save himself. The I'm a good person highway road built by human beings leads simply to death and damnation. And that's what Jesus was trying to teach this rich man in our gospel lesson. Let me just kind of paraphrase a little bit for you what Jesus was trying to say. Oh, you think you're a good person, do you? Oh, you think that you have kept the commandments. Oh, I see. Well, let's test just how good you are. You only lack one thing. I want you to go and give all your wealth to the poor. All of it. You have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. And what was the response of the rich man who saw himself as a good person? Disheartened by the saying... He went away sorrowful, for he had great possession. Apparently, his goodness was not quite that good. Oh, right, exactly. His goodness wasn't quite that good. He wasn't a good person. He was an idolater, a sinner. And how about you and me? How good are we? Would we have passed Jesus? <laughs> not me. Nope. I'm, oh man, not even close. Just, we're not as good as we think we are either. And the important thing is we need to know this, of course, before the judgment days so that we can stay on that very important road or stay off that very important road by many people entitled I am a good person because you and I know the truth. We have another road, another highway, even more beautiful. And that is the road to eternal life in Jesus Christ. You know how in the movie The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy was told to go to where? The Emerald City. She didn't know how to get to the Emerald City. That's okay because all she had to do was follow the yellow brick road and she would get there. We don't know how to get to eternal life. That's okay. Jesus does. And that's why he calls us to follow him and we will end up in eternal life. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, love it. Oh. For what we cannot do, our Lord Jesus can do and he did. He built that highway. He built that road to eternal life because he really is good. When Jesus asked that rich man, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus was asking this man if he really fully understood what he was asking or what he was saying. Did he really believe that Jesus was good? Did he understand what that meant? And the superficial answer anyway seems to be no because he walked away from Jesus. But if only God is good and Jesus is good, then that means... Jesus is God. Right on, right on. Yep, we came circle. F oh, yeah, good, <laughs> good Christology, too. And then I mentioned that this sermon's only half as long as uh, Jeff Gokey's. And uh, have you heard the gospel? Have you heard the law preached to condemn you of your sins? Have you been... <laughs> oh, man, this, this sermon is chock full of Jesus. God in human form. And even though this man walked away from Jesus, initially this rich man must have seen something in Jesus that led him to call Jesus good. 
Of course, you and, I, you and I know Jesus is good. Not only in the sense that he's holy and sinless and never did anything wrong, but especially he is good in the sense that he is love. Even though this man had not kept all the commandments the way he should have, even though he trusted in his own goodness, Jesus did not scold him or yell at him. How does Jesus respond? We read, and Jesus looking at him, loved him. This man did not deserve to be loved, but Jesus loved him. And so it is with us, even though we often trust in our own goodness and our wealth and the things that we have in this world, yet Jesus loves us. And this goodness and this love of Jesus Christ is especially seen in his dying for us on that cross. For you see, Jesus did what the rich man and you and I have not done. He gave up everything. He gave up even life itself for us, to die for us, so that our debt of sin to God might be paid for and canceled in full. And so that's why Paul writes in his second letter to the Corinthians, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Tell us again, Paul, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Notice Jesus was, quote, poor in spirit for you. Oh, wow. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. You know Paul's not talking about money here. Paul is referring to the reality that Jesus is good, that Jesus is God in human form, and yet he walked away from all that for us to give his life into death. And that's how he became poor for us. And in the process of becoming poor for us and giving up all things to die for us, we have become rich. We poor, miserable sinners who will die and have no control over anything like that. He has made us rich. Not giving us money, but giving us eternal life. And you and I know we enter then this highway, this road, this eternal life marked Jesus Christ by faith in Jesus, by trusting in Him for the forgiveness of our sins. That's what he means by following him, to give up our own goodness, to give up always trying to build our own way to God and to eternal life. To follow Jesus means to believe only Jesus is good and that he shares his goodness with us. So you see then by faith we are to cling ever so tightly to Jesus alone who is good and let go of trusting in everything else that we have just as he gave up everything for us. And so you see, if we had to make a choice between Jesus and everything else in life, even life itself, we'd give it all up for him who gave up everything for us. Jesus once said, no one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's real simple, isn't it? We know this, at least intellectually. All the money in the world cannot buy us eternal life. And when we die, all of our money and our stuff will all be left behind. But what our money cannot buy, Jesus can, and he did. He gives you eternal life through the forgiveness of all of your sins, and it's all yours simply by believing Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
At the beginning of the sermon, I said that you need to go the right direction if you want to end up in Tacoma or in Leavenworth, and I think that's pretty obvious to most people. Unfortunately, sadly, tragically, it's not quite so obvious about the direction to eternal life. People have many kinds of ideas and ways, just like the rich men in our text want to make their own way. But you and I know better, do we not? And our Lord Jesus Christ, once again this morning, has reminded us that He is the way and the truth and the life. And through faith in Jesus Christ, who has died for all of our sins and in our baptism, we are on the way, the road, the highway to eternal life. And yet, just like Dorothy, on her way to the Emerald City, she had to stay on the yellow brick road and not get off. So likewise, we must stay on this road, this highway marked Jesus to the very end. For if we get off this road at any point, we will not arrive at our destination. And so our Lord Jesus says in Revelation 2, verse 10, Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. So then we have the constant and the daily call from Jesus. Follow me. Follow me. Amen. <laughs> oh, that wasn't even close. That. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that was so full of Jesus and the gospel. And oh, yes. That was such a great sermon. 15 minutes. 15 minutes. And it was all about what Christ has done for us. Oh, and it destroyed the self-righteousness. Oh, amazing. Amazing. It, it wasn't even a fair contest. Poor Pastor Goki. I, I hope he listens to this uh, sermon cage fight. A lot of these guys, they when I do stuff like this, they do listen. And uh, I pray that he hears the gospel for him. Christ died for him. Oh, he thinks he's preaching the gospel and all he's preaching is the law. And here we got Pastor Lastman in 15 minutes, gave us nothing but Jesus. Oh, nothing compares. So what kind of preaching are you getting at your church? Are you getting Christ and him crucified for your sins? Or are you uh, packing your bags and going on the guilt trip and being told that the law is the gospel? That's why I say, listening to this program is dangerous stuff. It's dangerous stuff. Because there is no more important message that any pastor can bring than the good news of Christ and him crucified for your sins. And yes, you, Christian, need to hear this. You who've been a Christian all of your life, you need to hear it. The gospel is for you as well as for unbelievers. And you need to hear it because you sin daily and you sin much. You need to hear it so that you don't come to rely on your own good works to get you into heaven or the things that you think that you've surrendered to. Have you surrendered enough? Surrendered. Think about it. That's what Pastor Goki said. You know, what are you surrendering to? That kind of thing. You think you can surrender to God enough? Have you truly, really 100% surrendered? That's all law. Well, if that were the case, 
then how come you still sin? You see, you need the gospel too. And the good news is that Jesus Christ bled and died in your place, propitiated God's wrath, atoned for your sins. The debt is paid in full. He has taken your sin upon him and atoned for it and propitiated God's wrath and redeemed you. And he offers you his perfect righteous robes for you to wear as your own. So you are declared righteous in Christ. He's the one who's done it all for you. There is no more important message than this. And if your pastor's not preaching that, you need to find a pastor that will preach the gospel. Because you need to hear it. All right, we are at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. And I need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. And right now we are looking for 1,000 of our listeners to join the Pirate Christian Radio Fighting for the Faith crew. And by joining the crew, you are signing up to have a mere $6.95 automatically deducted from your account every month. And once we get to 1,000, it ensures that we have the minimum we need every month to pay our bills, which are it's really important because if we can't pay our bills... I can't continue doing Fading for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's just that simple. (laughs) But the good news is is that your gifts make it possible for us to continue this important radio outreach and to bring the gospel, the good news, discernment, and Jesus Christ and him crucified for our sins to not only you, but to other people around the world, because that's that's where we're listened to. We're listened to on planet Earth here at uh, Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. So uh, the way you do this, uh, you, the way you join our crew is visit fightingforthefaith.com and click on the Join Our Crew button and sign up today and do so. And when you do, I'll send you an email that uh, gives you access to our secret Pirate Christian Cove, which is a growing treasure trove of theological and doctrinal resources designed to help you go deeper in your understanding of the Christian faith and Christ and him crucified for your sins. So, again, fightingforthefaith.com, click on Join Our Crew, and if you'd like to donate a flat amount, uh, a couple of ways that you can do it is, number one, uh, click on the Donate button there at our website, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it along to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. That's right, 46038. All right, would love to get your feedback. What would you think of the uh, sermon cage fight? Who do you think won? I, <laughs> I, I, well, I could declare the winner. But, I mean, if you think that I, I got it wrong and, you know, and you know, Pastor Goki is actually the true winner, <laughs> I'd like to see your, see your, hear your reasoning. Anyway, uh, you can email me at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. <laughs> Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or follow me on Twitter. My name there again, well, pirate Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ in his vicarious death on the cross, even for your sins. That's right, yours. Amen. Amen.